Good morning, everyone. Happy Friday. And we're, we're back with another hardware podcast. Um, I'm Omar with my good friend Jackson, and we're ready to talk another week of FCS football as we draw near to the close. Yeah, we're nearing near Selection Sunday, and it's hard to believe it's already April, um, honestly, but with the end of March Madness, and, uh, and no one cares about the Masters, so let's get into some good football. That's a bold statement for sure. I mean, okay, I'm, not no one, but like <laughs> no one that in, like enjoys football. I feel like yeah, that that's I'll true. We're, we're already getting off. I mean, didn't you live in Georgia for a time, Jackson? I did. I did. That's a shame, man. It's a shame that you that <laughs> you said that. Knowing that, man, it's a shame. Uh, we're we're gonna take a little bit of a different approach with our awards races as it's near to the close. The time for sleepers is not. I mean. If they're in the race, they're in the race. Otherwise, I mean, it's hard for sleepers to emerge now this late. But starting off with our Walter Payton talk, Jackson, uh, who's in your top five, four or five, and why? Okay, so um, first, I've got Cameron Ward, actually, as my first. Um, the quarterback from Incarnate Word, uh, in four games played, he's over 1,500 yards, 20 touchdowns, three interceptions. You can tack on the two rushing touchdowns. Coming off of, I believe, back-to-back six touchdown performances, it's just hard to ignore him. He's he's heating up and in the most important time. Yeah, I I so I have Schmid number one, and okay. in a in a way, so two weeks from now are not two weeks. I guess the seventeenth of April, Sam Houston's going to play Incarnate Ward for what might be a playoff elimination game. Well, not even playoff elimination. One team's going to win the conference. One team's going to get get an at large. Uh, very likely, but I can see if Ward beats Schmid, then he'll be up top. But um, I do, I do agree that Ward's up there for sure. I have Schmid number one, even though on Thursday night, the Thursday night spotlight, the pentatonics didn't help him. Um, he had four. I mean, he struggled against Northwestern State, just like I guess Lindsey Scott and Nichols did. Like Nichols played Northwestern State. I was a close game when people didn't expect it was, it, it was much closer than people expected. So, I mean, give the demons their credit. They, they play up to competition and it showed there as I think the score is 24 to nine. It was a 24, nine game um, closer than expected. So it might've hurt Schmidt's chances a bit, but I still have a number one on the strength of that dominant win against nickel state, but make no mistake, April 17th incarnate Ward, Sam Houston state is pretty much a Walter Payton elimination game. I think. Yeah, that is, and that's something we're going to have to talk about on next week's podcast for sure, because that's that might even be the game of the week. I haven't looked too much into next week's schedule, but um, that, that'll be for all the marbles, maybe if only for the Walter Payton Award. Um, I'm going to go, actually, I've still got Lindsey Scott as my number two. Now, they are coming off of a very disappointing loss um, this past week. But, uh, I mean, he's played six games. He has seven touchdowns, which is an average of three touchdowns a game, um, or almost. He's got three interceptions, 1,400 yards, and five rushing touchdowns. You compare that to Eric Schmidt in four games played, he's got 12 touchdowns, which is an average of three touchdowns a game. He has five interceptions, which is two more interceptions and two less games played and one less rushing touchdown. So when you compare the stats face-to-face, and I know he beat Scott Handley head-to-head, but um, 
I've statistically, and as far as like a wow factor, I've honestly still got Lindsey Scott going in. And yes, it was a disappointing loss, but he didn't throw an interception or even turn the ball over. That loss was not his fault. Um, so that, and it's not like they're like a, like a, like a two and three team. Like they're, they're four and two. They're not like, they're not terrible. So I've still got Scott as my number two. So that, that's where I disagree with you, man, because I got it. Like the, just a stat line, 14 to 35 for 186 against uh, Sam Meese. It's not like he was going blow for blow with Eric Schmidt. He, he, he went 14 for 35. That, but that was by far his worst game of the year. And I know it was head to head, but it, he hasn't had a loss nearly as bad or a game nearly as bad. Like it's either been blowouts or a, a lot, a tough loss that wasn't his fault. So it's, it's hard to blame. Wins aren't a quarterback stat. And that's like okay. a multiple podcast series debating that. So we're not going to get too much into that. But I'm, I'm just saying, like, I don't know. I've still got him as number two. Okay. I mean, I will, I will say this. I mean, this award goes generally to contenders, which um, plays into my next pick, Eric Barrier. Uh, 1,883 yards in four games for Eastern Water, I guess, five games, I mean, for Eastern Washington. 16 touchdowns, six picks as Eastern Washington looks primed for the playoff. Um, he's putting out numbers out there out out uh, out West. And maybe by some miracle, if uh, Schmidt and Ward trail off by the end of the year, I think um, the award is bearish to the taking. But I got Schmidt, Barrier, and Ward. Like, just, I mean, just like you have Ward uh, up there, like one, two, and three in very close contention. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I can agree with that. I've got... Um... I've got Schmidt as my number three. I don't dislike Schmidt. I just think Scott's a hair above him. Um, and then mine to round out for number four, I've got Barrier because it's, it's you can't not put him on the list. In five games played, 16 touchdowns. I don't like the six interceptions, but, uh, I mean, he's still at like 1,800 yards, which is uh, like 300 yards above everyone else, so. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, it, it is a quarterback's award, and those are, like, systems that you think of, um, quarterback-friendly systems, at least Sam Houston State and Eastern Washington. Uh, when you think of Cooper Cup, uh, guys for like sure. that. Um, my next guy, I actually have a running back at number three, and it's not Otis Weah, but it's Quay Holmes out of East Tennessee State, who um, who is quietly having a great year out of the SoCon. They just beat VMI, the toast of the conference. And Holmes is 551 yards on 108 carries in five games. He also returns kicks during 26 kick return yards against VMI. He really had a, just a workhorse performance with 29 carries, 135 yards. So I think if there's a running back to win it, it's not Wea because Wea only has 76 carries in five games. Doesn't get the ball much, but I mean, Holmes, like the Buccaneers feed Holmes and they're primed for a playoff berth and at large, as we'll talk about later with bracketology, the at large field is pretty thin. Um, it's, it's thin pickings and with the MEAC, uh, not getting it open, not getting a playoff spot there, a spot just opened up. But uh, I got Quay Holmes at running back as being like the one guy that can potentially win it at that position. And I think we want to clarify, we're a big Otis Wea, we're big Otis Wea fans. Like we do not fault him. Um, we both think North Dakota should have been handing the ball off, especially in the game against the Bison. Um, so we love Wea on this, on this podcast. We just want to like clarify that, I think, because um, – yeah, it's not his fault. They should he should be getting the ball more because he's their best player. With all respect to Tommy. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. What's um uh, what's who's your next guy, Jackson? 
Um, my last guy was Barrier. Oh, Barrier. Okay. Yeah, well, with the eighteen hundred yards and sixteen TDs. Okay, I had so for me, it's like the quarterbacks. You got everyone else. So my next two guys, I got Jacob Harris for VMI. Uh, five six hundred eighty four yards in in six games at receiver, just great numbers. And again, it's like these quarterbacks have their off games, with the exception of Barrier, it seems. So, I mean, you just never know. And he plays for VMI, one of the best stories of the spring, so that adds to it. And my last guy in my rankings, I have Tyler Phelps out of Davidson. And the stats aren't eye popping, but he's an option quarterback, and I love my triple option. They were on the gun option out there in in uh, North Carolina. And he's got 562 passing yards and six touchdowns in five games. I know the passing stats don't wow. And he's got 208 rushing yards and one touchdown. So a true dual threat. Um, but for me, it's like 2000, it's like 2021, 20-year anniversary, Eric Crouch's Heisman. I'm getting kind of Eric Crouch vibes here where it's like you have a contending team, not exactly a brand, but it's like why not give it to an option quarterback? Um, and I know this is a – a, a bitter topic for you, Jackson, but I want to know your thoughts on that. I mean, I'm, I'm not the biggest option uh, offense promoter as my, my good friend Omar is, so I can respect it, but uh, I, I don't have him in my top four. I'll, I'll say that politely. I mean, he's like number, he's like number five. He's on the edge. For okay. me, like That's fair. So you don't either. I don't know that I would have him at five. <laughs> but yeah yeah I I respect that I respect that well if you think about it too like I think his Walter Payton moment was that win against uh San Diego where he had uh his stats weren't great but he was efficient and that's the thing uh pulling up his his games his stats for that game um I think he was like eight for ten or like he had a high completion percentage um pulling it up right now I should have wrote it down but he went 10 for 15, 189 yards and three touchdowns, and also had 26 rushing yards and seven carries. So he was, like, efficient throwing the ball. And I think the stat was eight of his 10 completions went for first downs or touchdowns. And San Diego had a 41-game conference winning streak. 41-game conference winning streak. And Tyler Phelps sort of, like, the face of that and ending that and helping Davidson end that streak and putting them in position for their first playoff berth ever and probably their first in the first postseason berth in general since the 1969 Tangerine Bowl. I mean, I think that deserves merit. And why not show some love for the option in a shortened season? Everyone's playing a shortened season, so why not? Yeah, yeah, that's that uh, that's that's about as good an argument as you can make for it. I just um my thing and we're getting slightly off topic with this. I remember you and Marshall did a podcast on why don't these teams do the option more? Because it works and it's pretty simple to do. And my thing with the option is that, um, and you should go back, you guys should go back and listen to that if you haven't listened to uh, Omar and Marshall's podcast on that already. Um, like the option, the whole point of it is that it's difficult to defend and like your typical defense, like once teams start moving to that and that becomes more commonplace, then guys will figure it out and then it's not difficult to defend anymore that's just my opinion of like you know and once it becomes common then it's no longer going to have the effect of why the team switched to it and that's just my opinion so like i don't know you tell me your thoughts on that i mean i agree but people are scared of the option uh, why do you think kenny Matololo hasn't been drawn away yet from navy or uh, coach monken here at, at at west point I think it's because of the fans, the fans think, oh, we're just going to run the ball all the time. 
I mean, it's all casual fans. Um, so I don't think that'll, that'll happen in the modern day when, when so many teams run it, but um, there's teams that, that have focused on a run heavy approach and with a lot of option elements, of course, with the spread, but even more so with like the power aspect, having like two backs in the backfield and running option. But um, I digress with that topic. I think we should move on to our, our Buck Buchanan. I just had a random thought in my pop, uh, a random thought in my head pop up. Can you imagine if Tennessee traded for Lamar Jackson and then ran the option? <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, no. I mean, it, it would be lethal. We to Buck Buchanan before we get too much into that. Yeah, <laughs> it would be lethal for sure. Um, oh my gosh, that sounds dangerous. <laughs> All right, I'll go with my number one for Buck Buchanan. I've got Jack McDonald, um, the linebacker from Austin. He, uh, in six games played, uh, 52 tackles, so very productive. Eight and a half tackles for loss, two and a half which were sacks, a pick six, and two forced fumbles. Just too much production all over the place, uh, not to put him at number one, in my opinion. I think um, I'm going to choose another OVC linebacker or linebackers uh, interchangeable at number one. I got Nicario Harper as like the top guy and Marshall Clark teammates on Jacksonville state close behind. Uh, Harper's got 71 tackles in 10 games, uh, three interceptions. He's got a 64 yard fumble, fumble return touchdown, uh, one and a half tackles for loss, really just like the face of that defense. And then Clark uh, wreaks havoc in the backfield with 59 tackles, seven tackles for loss, one and a half sacks, one, one interception. And I think it helps that they're eight and two. They played a lot of games and really it's like the defense is, is just leading that team because often struggles at times. They lost to Austin P 13 to 10, uh, through no fault of the defenses. But when I see those guys, it's like, they have 10 games, they have more games under their belt. They've sustained the play for a longer amount of time. So either one of those guys are my number one out of Jacksonville state. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, I'm I'm still in one of your guys for my number two. I've got Connor Riddle in six games played, 51 tackles, 10 tackles for loss, which anytime you hit double digits and that is something to talk about, and an interception, which is kind of the icing on the cake. Productive. And um, I, I love as much as we love like TFLs and interceptions and forced fumbles because those are fun to talk about and those get on Sports Center. Just having like 50 plus tackles is like there's something to say for that because that just shows like productivity. And unless you're like on like an interior defensive line that maybe you're affecting the ball with like quarterback or is that you should be, if you're going to win the Buck Buchanan, like you should be high up in tackles in my opinion. Um, so I've got, I've got Connor, Connor Riddle on that number two. Yeah. I, I have him too. And I have his teammate Stone Snyder in a similar fashion as um, Harper and Clark, just teammates on, on the same pretty, a pretty solid defense. They got exposed a bit earlier in the season against Sanford and, Wa- and Wofford, but Snyder has seven TFLs and six sacks, more sacks than Riddle, and one more actually, and 55 tackles. And again, like the stats are there for them just getting the backfield. And this is a front seven award. And BMI is one of the best stories of the of the spring. I sound like a broken record saying this every every week, but even uh, Bill Connolly um, of, of, S- of ESPN, formerly of SB Nation, the stats guy, has caught on to VMI, uh, posting about visiting their their page four four times in a in a day, I think, or in the past couple of days. Um, you tweeted about that, but I, I think a lot of America has VMI fever. 
can we um can we just get like a Nichols versus VMI matchup and just like settle this debate? Because I would like well one of us would be silent about the other for the rest of the year. Because I love I love VMI's defense. You kind of love you kind of love uh, um, Nichols' offense, and like we should just like settle that debate. That would be sick in my opinion. But unfortunately, we can't do that. We don't have that much power. Um, my number three guy, I've got Jamani Crane. Now, I do not think he is the uh, third best defensive player. I think he's good. I don't think he's the third best defensive player in the FCS. I think he is the third most likely to win it just because he has the most memorable, and I said this last week, yes, the most memorable play of the season, thanks to ESPN, and he is getting so much airtime in this love fest with Jackson State that everyone seems to have, which I'm not arguing. It's better than not having it um, with Dion there, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, there's just so much talk around Jackson State. That's the only FCS thing ESPN is posting is related to Jackson State. Um, it, it doesn't hurt that he's getting so much attention and he has the most merit. It just sticks in voters' minds. So I'm going to go with Jamani Crane. Five games played, 16 tackles, which I just said I want to be productive in the bat, in, uh, tackling, but oh well. Um, four tackles for a loss, two sacks, and of course that one scoop and score that will be remembered for a long time. Yeah, I think that wow factor and that exposure helps a bunch in terms of like national voters because a lot of these games are behind paywalls. Um, well, ESPN Plus and at the same time as well. Uh, so, I mean, you could access those games at a cheap price, but it's like the, you know, ESPN, just being on like big ESPN helps a lot in terms of exposure because. Had he not done the Dion dance going into the end zone or the Dion shuffle, whatever it's called, I don't think he would be number three because that's what made it like, that's what made it like really go everywhere on Twitter and stuff was him doing that Dion shuffle into the end zone. So, you know. If that's all you have to do to win the Buck Buchanan, then, like, we're going to start seeing, like, all these guys do it. I watch Connor Riddle. <laughs> yeah, more so, I think he might be a Peisman uh, candidate yeah. for the spring. <laughs> yeah. um, my last guy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a defensive back, even though one defensive back's won it and not in the last uh, 18 years. Uh, I got Chris Edmonds, who is really wreaking havoc in terms of turnovers and everything. He's got 37 tackles. Four interceptions, two forced fumbles, and two and a half tackles for loss. So this guy, it's like all over the place. But there aren't 11 Chris Edmonds on the field for Sanford as, as they've had struggles on defense, which might overshadow him along with the fact that he's a defensive back. But you just look at those stats. Like the man wreaks havoc um, with like six turnovers forced. Great. Yeah, if it were, if it were up to me, I would put Edmonds as my number four guy too. Um, which I, I mean, it is up to me, but I don't think he's the fourth most, fourth most likely to win it as much as I do love what Edmonds is doing this year. I've got Mike Green, the defensive lineman from James Madison. It helps JMU being a brand. We were talking about that a little bit earlier with Bracketology, um, but before the show. And five games played, uh, 16 tackles, seven and a half tackles for loss, two of which were sacks. I think Green is productive. He's got the brand behind him. They still haven't lost the game despite half their games being paycheck games. I, I, I like green a lot. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's just the thing. Like maybe he makes a splash in the playoffs, but I can't, I, I just don't think green um, has enough of a resume in terms of just like amount of games played on, 
compared to the rest of the candidates, but yeah, like he is on one of the biggest brands in FCS and and James Madison, a team that as we'll talk pretty shortly um, on on the, on the merit of their brand, excuse me, the merit of their brand, they're the number one team in the country, whether that's fair or not, um, which I guess it's a good segue to talk about bracketology as the playoffs are are coming near selection Sunday is um, nine days from now. And um they came out, I think they came out with like the top 10. Um, we looked at some bracketology before this and the top four seeds, uh, which usually uh, they would get a first round by. There'd be eight seeds in a 2014 playoff and they get a first round by, but uh, it's kind of like home field advantage and they face the weakest, the weaker teams in the field um, regionally. So uh, the top four seeds are North Dakota State, James Madison, Sam Houston State and, and uh, Weber State. So that, those are the favorites. Uh, but where it gets interesting is the at-large bids. So according to Hero Sports, which is what we're going off of, the at-large bids are South Dakota State, Delaware, East Washington, East Tennessee, North Dakota, and Richmond. And I think that's a pretty fair assessment with the exception of Richmond. And I want to talk a little bit about the CAA, Jackson. It's like, what do you do with like all these teams that have barely played but have really, I guess, that recognition and that credit with their program success in the past? Well, let's see. Is there any precedent for a team or a conference playing and still getting in the playoff? Um, I'm going to go with Ohio State for 500 there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like, I know it's not the same brand, obviously, as Ohio State in the Big Ten. But um, we, we saw it last year, um, or I guess not last year, this, whatever, this season. Um, and, uh, yeah, they've barely played the, the most games anyone's played in the CAA is four games with, uh, with, uh, there are a few teams like Maine and Albany and, and them, but yeah, I mean, I guess you have to, I guess you have to, to put them in if you're gonna, if you're gonna put anyone in from the CAA, I guess it should be Richmond. So, so I think uh, this, this is very shades of big 10 what's happening in the CAA because, they're doing a vote now. They had tiebreakers before, but the season's been so mangled. A lot of teams opted out uh, just recently. And um, they're doing a vote now, kind of like, I guess, like how the Big Ten 80s voted to put Ohio State in the championship, in the Big Ten championship. And what what's kind of crazy, I guess, frustrating for other schools is uh, you look at their resume and James Madison's only beaten Robert Morris, who's a bottom feeder out of the Big South. They beat Moorhead State, who's uh, not having the, a good year. And not, I guess, yeah, not having a good year in the Pioneer Football League, the non-scholarship conference Davidson and San, Diego, and San Diego are in. So other than, and then in conference, they've only beaten one in five Elon by three points and William and Mary by 28, which I mean, as they should, William and Mary at one and two. But it's like, if that was any other school, they're not, they're not in, but because it's James, James Madison, not only are they a projected uh, playoff team, but they're a projected number one seed. And it's like, you know, it's a, it's a, and it's the same thing with Richmond too, because Richmond is four and oh, right. It's three and oh, right now they play William and Mary this week. And so their resume would consist of a win against Elon and two wins against William and Mary. Uh, so pretty much three wins against one win teams. So it's like, it's like, where, where does it stop here? It's like, where does a, where does a brick? the brand name by a stop. I would say I, I, all right. I would, I will say that I would rather have Richmond go in as a 16 
than uh than Holden Tross or anyone from the Patriots. Ouch. They played like two games. And <laughs> not going to the playoffs with that. I, I do agree, but I think uh, so. A team that I I'm very compelled um, for their playoff oh, days. Sorry to sorry to interrupt. I should say the Patriot is an automatic bid. So yeah. Lee Cross was on that at large. It's an automatic thing. That's why they're they've played two games and scheduled to make the playoffs. Yeah, uh, or whoever wins a Patriot League title game next week. Uh, Holy Cross or Bucknell? Bucknell, yeah. Bucknell. The, the the field set for that one, but. Uh, I am compelled for one team. So if you if you look at the, the first six out, and we'll, we'll put the link in um, the description for this video. You look at teams out, it's like Monmouth, Murray State, Incarnate Word, and Missouri State. So Monmouth, it's probably going to be the, the loser of the Monmouth-Kennesaw State game that gets left out because Kennesaw State's at 4-0, 2-0 in conference, but a win over a Monmouth team that had 11 wins in 2019 or a Kennesaw State team that had 11 wins in 2019 – is a solid it's a solid win for either for um oh that's going to decide the big south first off um but again they have a small body of work incarnate word they're projected to lose to sam houston state so we'll have two losses blowout loss to Nichols, and then a loss to um sam houston state two losses murray state they're projected to lose to jacksonville state who was at eight and two and murray state doesn't really have any good wins uh, they would not have any good wins if they lose to Jackson State for the or for their OBC title. So that's that. And then the last team was Missouri State, who hasn't made the playoffs since 1990. But, you know, you know who's coaching that team, Jackson? I do not. The the bad boy coach of college football, Bobby Petrino. Okay. So he, he's got the Bears back on track for their first playoff bid since 1990. And they've done great in the spring, but the fall tripped them up. They went 0-3 in the fall, and they're 4-1 in the spring. So um, that's a team that I feel, you know, it's like, it's like what's the merit of putting a team like Richmond in who's only beaten one-win teams, you know? Right, right. No, I, I agree. I would – I also want to go ahead and, and mention that um, that why we're not talking about Jackson State or anywhere from the SWAC or MIAC. It's because if you don't already know, they play in their own uh, championship game, the Celebration Bowl, they will not be participating in the FCS playoffs, which you would think that they could just like push it back one week and then win the Celebration and then go ahead and go on to the playoffs. But um, but yeah, it's it's that's not a thing. So they're, they're not gonna be in the playoffs. Which I don't know, like, with all the celebration bowl history, would you rather like would you rather have that in a pot, a shot at like an actual FCS championship, or do you think that would devalue the celebration bowl too much? I think that devalues the celebration bowl because okay, if you look at the right. history um, of HBCU football, they had their own bowl games for sure, and um, that that's what they want. They, I mean, the HBCUs are a bigger brand than most of the probably all of fcs and that the attendance records show that the history shows that um the possible exception of ndsu and i think oh yeah handily say that the hbcus have like bigger brands uh, yeah i i think so i think ndsu is more of a regional brand so i mean in a yeah. in a way i i do think it would but also too i also want to note for the miac um whoever gets the last at-large bid can thank um washington dc lawmakers because they made a law against um I guess people traveling to South Carolina or teams competing in South Carolina. So because Howard cannot play South Carolina state 
the MEAC does not have a round robin schedule, so they are disqualified from having a playoff berth, opening up an at large bid. That's something that was talked about this week. What did South Carolina do? What I miss? No, they didn't do anything. It's like it was just because of a, a COVID risk, COVID, COVID mitigation. Oh, okay. You know, they they wouldn't allow them to travel. Oh, so that's not like Carolina. a permanent thing. I feel like. No, no, it's not permanent, <laughs> but it's. Oh. It was just um, they had their first game canceled in Washington, D.C. because they didn't want people, I guess, traveling from South Carolina or large mass people traveling from South Carolina, I guess, a hot spot for uh, COVID-19 to play in Washington, D.C. So a messy situation out of the MIAC would have had a playoff bid had D.C. lawmakers not made made that law. Yeah, that's um, that's interesting. I did not know that. And they couldn't find like a neutral site or anything. Or was that against the rules, too? I think so too. I think it's just like uh, they had hot spots that they people can't play at all. If they can't play in DC, they can't play at all. That makes sense. That's yeah. Or just like hot well, spots they can travel to. If you're already going to do that. Yeah. Um, man, it's, uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of these automatic bids, all of them. Um, and I don't know. It, you could, you could kind of make the same argument you can for like the NFL playoffs and that, like, if you make a, a rule that, oh, well, we shouldn't have this just because the AFC South is terrible. Well, remember, like, back in the early 2010s when the, like, the NFC West was, like, the laughing stock of the NFL, and now they're, like, maybe the best division in football. So, like, it evens itself out eventually. It's just tough with these smaller schools and 10 automatic bids. But then again, it's not really an issue usually because there's, like, 14 at-large bids typically. And we're reducing it to 16 because of the shortened season and spring and COVID and all that. So I guess it's, I guess we're kind of nitpicking at it this year, but it's usually not too much of an issue. Um, I, I will ask though, cause I'm actually not sure about this myself. Is it like the, the hot 10 highest seeds are the 10 automatic bids. And then like the rest are like kind of like wild cards or is it, because I'm genuinely not sure how that works. Oh, no. So, like, a conference – there's, like, conferences, conferences that are generally one-bid conferences, like you see in basketball, that are generally perceived as weaker. Um, okay. The metrics don't we favor them. Kennesaw State as, like, a 16 seed or, or, I guess, a four seed. Yeah, Kennesaw State um, – yeah, they had a strong year at the Big South last year. So, they're, like, one of the seeds, one of the teams that earned a buy. And you can earn multiple seeds per conference. And that's something that happens with the CAA regularly and – the MVFC, Missouri Valley Football Conference. So Okay. So hypothetically, we could see like an NDSU, SDSU matchup or like them being the top two seeds in a division. Yeah, it, it would be okay. unlikely though in this playoff season. Uh, yeah, it, it'd be unlikely, but at least, okay, I get what you're saying at least. Okay, awesome. Yeah, because I wasn't sure on how that worked exactly. So yeah, uh, like I said, we're kind of like looking at it this year and thinking it's unfair, but next year when we look at it and there's 24 teams, like I don't think we'll think much of it. Yeah, so the playoff race, yeah, very interesting, and we'll see it really take shape these next two weeks. Um, Jackson, what are, what are your games to watch this week as we start to close? We were going over them a little bit before the show, and they were like completely different from each other, which really shows like the diversity and depth of weekend like if you haven't started which hopefully if you're listening to this you have watching fcs football this spring this is the weekend to do it because this is the weekend things really start to get interesting i've got kennesaw state versus monmouth uh and as my first game kennesaw state 4-0 monmouth 2-0 first seed versus second seed in the big south it's gonna be one eastern on espn plus this saturday 
My second game, Alabama, who's kind of untested, only want to know, goes on the road to Jackson State. I mean, kind of been a disappointment this year being three and two when everyone thought they were going to be invincible. That's three Eastern on ESPN. No plus at the end on the big boy ESPN. Um, and then Southeastern Louisiana uh, versus our at Nichols. Uh, both teams are three and two. Nichols coming off of a very disappointing loss. I've liked SC Louisiana for, <laughs> for this year. I think they've, they've had a great year. Um, and that's, for Eastern on ESPN Plus. Finally, we can't forget the Route 1 rivalry, Delaware on the road, Delaware State for the first time in its short, like, 14-year history. Um, 6 p.m. Eastern time, prime time on ESPN2. Yeah, so very, very great games. And again, like, a really diverse slate. Uh, can't complain about that. And it seems like we have Football 365 with the spring league talking about their summer schedule. I'm not sure if you caught that Jackson, but uh, I did not. What's going on with the spring league? The spring league just, uh, their schedule is going to start in early May and end in mid June. Um, really? Yeah. Right before like training camp and stuff heats up. So we'll yeah. actually year of football. Yeah, exactly. That's thing COVID did for us. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What are the odds? And we're getting off topic again, but like if it weren't for like, them wanting to like preserve their NFL players and like possible NFL talent going to FCS schools, they should just move the FCS to the spring because more people are watching it. It's way more fun. And then put all the games on Saturday. And then when the XFL comes back, put all those games on Sunday and just like, you know, I don't know. I would like it a lot, but then all the Kate Johnson's and, uh, and Trey Lance's would opt out of like their last years. So, or transfer. I'm personally a fall guy. I mean, keep all all uh, college football in the fall because it's just the economics with like paycheck games and everything like that. You know. Yeah, that's right. You could have like you could have a couple paycheck games in the fall though, so you stay warm. But um, and then like and then pick off. Well, no, that wouldn't work with the NFL playoffs. But you could start like um. Oh, well, actually, you could start right after the divisional round weekend and like on the conference championships. Well, no, that's the senior bowl weekend. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so my uh my my games to watch this weekend are um I got Lafayette Lehigh, the rivalry, 156, 156 playing the most played rivalry in college football, not the oldest, as those teams did play twice a year for a while. And both teams are having an offseason, really. Lafayette one and one, Lehigh 0 and two. Only Lehigh's only scored three points all year. But the defense is nice. And anytime you get a sense of normalcy with the rivalry ending the Patriot League regular season on that final weekend, it, it's good to see. Um, after that, I got um, – geez, excuse me. Why not, what blanked. I had, I had these games ready. But I, after that, on Saturday, I got Davidson versus Presbyterian as Davidson needs to win two more games to uh, win the Pioneer, Pioneer Football League title and um, – go to their first, make their first playoff appearance and first postseason appearance since the 1969 Tangerine Bowl uh, against Toledo. On Sunday, Sunday is when things heat up, I think, because you have two conference deciding games. You have Murray State, Jacksonville State. Oh, sorry, and I, I forgot to put uh, mention networks there for those two games. So ESPN Plus at 1230 is the rivalry, Lafayette, Lehigh. And this ad would get out of the way. Jeez. <laughs> and at 11 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus, a little bit of early kick, Davidson Presbyterian. 
And then if you go the next day, Sacred Heart Duquesne at 2 p.m. for the Northeastern Conference title, uh, that's gonna that's gonna decide a playoff berth there. So we'll probably have our first we'll have our first playoff berth decided on Sunday in Pittsburgh. And at three at three o'clock Eastern, Murray State, Jacksonville State. And again, we mentioned how Murray State's on the cusp of an at-large. This is a must-win for them and uh, for Jacksonville State. Maybe a must win, but I can see them getting in with eight wins because I, while they would have three losses, they do have eight wins, more than a lot of other teams. Um, granted, not many of those wins are impressive wins, but um, we'll see. And I also forgot another game on Saturday as before you know it, I mean, before anyone even realized, Mercer is a game off in the in the SoCon and they're playing East Tennessee State at 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, so if Mercer wins the rest as... East Tennessee State is um, in second place in the SoCon. If Mercer wins their next two games and VMI somehow loses to 1-9 Citadel, then Mercer's in the playoffs the first time ever. So a playoff scenario to look at. They need help, though. But again, a really full, great slate of games. Um, and also, shout out to Bucknell reaching their first postseason game in 86 years. Um you know, really great story out there in Lewis in Lewisburg. Uh, might be, and also a good story for me. Good omen for me because, you know, some droughts are ending. Maybe my drought will end. My girlfriend drought will end. <laughs> that is the longest streak that we have on this show. <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> um, man, yeah, it's like like we said, like it's gonna be one of those Saturdays where like I. I'm gonna get off from work and like have like two TVs and my laptop open because like there's just a lot going on this week. If you want some free money, this isn't an ad. Go ahead and bet on Delaware State. They are a 27 point underdog on the line. So go ahead and, and put a little money on uh, on Delaware State on the Hornets. I'm not doing it, so don't blame me because uh, <laughs> if you lose and take my advice. Uh, but man, like a 27 point dog, like that is just like disrespectful, man. Like, I don't know. How do you feel about that, Omar? I mean, I kind of feel it's warranted, Jackson, because we talked about how lopsided this rivalry is. A, 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 yeah, but 27 points, like an average score of 37 to 11. In these yeah, games. but yeah, I don't know. I think that's just kind of disrespectful. So we'll see. We'll see how that I goes. think if anyone's the real deal out of the, out of the CAA, it's Delaware. Because Delaware beat Stony Brook, or they beat Maine 37 to nothing in their first game, a solid Maine team. They beat Stony Brook 31 to three. They've been the most dominant out of anyone in the CAA. And I, I think that spread is it's very warranted. Um, but you know, if you're if you're if you're gambling, if you're a gambling person, follow Jackson's advice. Cause I too am a fan of uh, betting against large spreads. Um, and then um, I've I've also if you're going to take a second bet, maybe a little parlay this week, go ahead and, and put the over on Incarnate Word in Northwestern State. Northwestern State, 0-5. They're 11th in the Southland Conference. Incarnate Word, Cameron Ward's coming off of back-to-back six touchdown games. They're second in the Southland. The points are the, not the spread, the total over-under, 66 and a half. I like the over on that. I like a blowout win by Incarnate Word. Welcome to the I mean, the demons are plucky. The Northwestern State demons are plucky. We saw it with Nichols State and Sam Houston State last week. But I, yeah. I do like the over. I like the over um, yeah. in general. But I think it's going to be close to anything, Jackson. 
like 40, do you think like it'll be like, like, let me do some math, 41, 21 or 40, 42, 21? I'm going to go like 52 to 21. Like not, not, not horrible, but. So like over, over. Okay. Yeah, definitely over, over. I'm going to go with 48. 17 it's gonna look really bad yeah okay that's 65 so we're still over 48 17 is my score prediction for that wait wasn't over 66 that was 62 uh the over under is oh, you're right 51 17 we'll, we'll, we'll see we'll say you said 51 17 i remember i'm not terrible at math i promise i just uh <laughs> I, uh what the law you said fifty-one seventeen, Jackson. Don't don't worry. <laughs> okay. Well, you can edit that out, right? <laughs> well, we'll add some automated voice. We'll add an okay. automated voice to that. <laughs> or just add if you can't crop it out, just add Gronky's not bothering us today. It's great. Yeah. So <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, <laughs> before we get too off topic, do a little parlay on that and um enjoy some awesome college football this weekend. Don't watch golf. Have a life. Don't watch. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Even though Masters, if you're gonna watch Masters, watch whole sixteen with Vern Lundquist on the call. That's it's poetic, and you know spring is here when Vern's on the back nine. You hit my weak spot with Vern. I miss <laughs> CBS, but um, awesome. All right, well, uh, I will. I well, I won't talk to you next week. We'll probably talk right after this. But <laughs> we'll watch <laughs> college football this week. Yeah, and until next time, peace, love, and soul, everyone. <laughs>